Radio. This is Catholics Read on Cradio.org.au. Hello and welcome to this episode of Catholics Read. I'm Luke. And I'm Kiara. And I'm Victoria. And today we are looking at a book by Kate Chopin, which is called Regret. Uh, it's not really a book, really. It's, it's a short a- story. <laughs> in fact, it's so short that you could read it in like 10 minutes or something. Can you I tell mean, this is the pointy end of semester for all us <laughs> uni students? Yeah, we're picking like pretty low-hanging fruit here as far as... Um, Lengthwise. Yeah. Uh, But there was a reason we picked this one. Luke picked this one because um, apparently uh, feminists don't like this particular story from Kate Chopin. I didn't pick it because feminists don't like it. You did, Luke. You did. Let's face it. It's okay to admit that. But it piqued his curiosity and he wanted to know why feminists didn't like this book. And reading it, like this short story, since they like most of Kate Chopin's other stuff, I don't know, yeah. anyone who went through year 12 and sort of the 2005 to 2008 period when I did, you would have had to have read um, Kate, Chopin, Kate Chopin's book Awakening, mm-hmm. which was a very, very lovely story about a woman who liberates herself and then goes and drowns herself in the ocean, I believe, is the essential... That's really horrible. It is a horrible story. I didn't particularly like it. It was rather depressing. Um, but it was part of Women in Context. We had to read it along with A Streetcar Named Desire and other... Oh, okay. Lovely stories. Hmm. And Sylvia Plath, too, to top off the depressing feminist... To top, to top off the... I think I, there should be a class of literature called depressing feminist literature because that I'm would sure be... there's a lot. Yeah, there is. Anyway. This story, however. It's not. <laughs> well, it is. It's sad, <clears throat> but it's not depressing. But it's not. <laughs> yeah. It's real. It's real. It's Things real. got real. Things got very real. <laughs> um, so, I'll try to... You could... Really, just go and read it now. Um, we'll do that thing like where we'll cut it, and then you just go read it. Uh, just type in "regret short story." It'll come up straight away if you just type that in on Google, or if you're listening to this on Cradio on the page, you'll we'll probably attach a link or something there so you can click through on that. So just go do that right now. We'll wait. So now that you're back uh, and hopefully had a wonderful read of Regret, which is not a very nice name, is it? It's a very, de- very depressing name. Um, but for those who couldn't couldn't wait, couldn't go read it, who are listening to this while driving or something and, you know, didn't want to do something silly like... Read a book whilst you're driving. While you're driving. That's really stupid. Don't do that. Um <laughs> Then what it's about is about a woman who's in her 50s named Mamzelle Orly, who, um, who I can't pronounce that properly because it's like Creole and French and stuff, um, and I am not. But there's a lot of that in this. Uh, and she's a woman who lives in Louisiana, presumably. I don't know if it actually says that. But well, anyway, anyway, this is going to take longer than the actual thing does. So, um, Who is living this rather rugged, uh, frontier lifestyle. She lives on a farm, on a cotton farm, um, has uh, workers. uh, They're slaves. They're slaves. I didn't, I didn't want to go into that. No, no, they're slaves. This is, this is the 1890s Let's, in the Deep South. We're going to keep it. They're we're going to keep it realistic here. Yes, they're slaves. Um, and she's quite wealthy. And she's got a dog called Ponto. Yes, she does. And she shoots chicken hawks. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a nice little 
addition to the story as well. Um, so she's lived this regret-free life, I guess you would say. Um, she'd been proposed to when she was... Do you want was... me to just read the first, like, it's, it'll take two seconds. Yeah, then we don't need it. to paraphrase it. These are the first, like, two paragraphs, basically. Um, Mamselle Orly possessed a good, strong figure, ruddy cheeks, hair that was changing from brown to grey and a determined eye. She wore a man's hat about the farm and an old blue army overcoat when it was cold and sometimes top boots. Mamselle Orly had never thought of marrying. She had never been in love. At the age of 20, she had received a proposal which she had promptly declined. And at the age of 50, she had not yet lived to regret it. There we go. Uh, so the story goes on that her neighbour brings across her four children because she has to go across the state or to Texas, I believe, um, to visit her sick mother um, and various other things that have happened. And so she leaves these children, which um, it's a bit of a classic scene that I think a lot of movies provide. The the person who has no idea about children having Being suddenly locked. saddled with four small children with a harried mother running off to get... The, with a harried mother running off to go and check on her dying mother in the next parish over. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, her husband's in Texas. That's the link to That's Texas. the husband's yeah. in Texas. That's what it is. And so her attempting to try and deal with these kids that she really is... Has like, no idea what's going no on. No idea what's going on. They're just she's never had any dealings with kids any before. Uh, she treats them like pigs to start with, because that's all she knows is how to treat animals. But slowly comes to love these children, slowly understands them, um, and is able to take care of them. And it's really beautiful, I think, about how this happens. Um, this woman who I guess has this really rugged heart, um, it becomes softer as she as she takes care of these children. Um, And, of course, the mother eventually then comes back uh, and claims her children. And I just want to read this last paragraph because it's fantastic, this paragraph. Once you've had all of this beautiful um, and lovely writing about her relationship with these children that she initially was not interested in but came to love, it says after those children had left, she turned into the house. There was much work awaiting her for the children had left a sad disorder behind them which did not at once set about the task of writing it. Mademoiselle Orly seated herself beside the table. She gave one slow glance through the room, into which the evening shadows were creeping and deepening around her solitary figure. She let her head fall upon her bended arm and began to cry. Oh, but she cried, not softly as women often do. She cried like a man, with sobs that seemed to tear her very soul. She did not notice Ponto licking her hand. And that's where it ends. And I was like on the train reading this and I think I wanted to cry. Like, because it's just, it's so beautiful and so sad. Like this woman who had never thought about having kids in her life and was completely... Um, and very happy, happy. Happy about the fact that she didn't have children, um, I guess. And once these children turned up in her life, she figured they were just a nuisance. But as she slowly, she slowly grew to love them and she realised what a mistake she'd made in leading a life without children, without a family. Um, This is why I say it would annoy feminists (laughs) because it's a story that kind of attempts that in a way, I guess um, exposes this or attempts to set out this notion that within a woman is this desire to be a mother. Um, and that may not include having children of her own, but still this desire to have uh, children there, this maternal instinct within the mother, and that the not realising that uh, Mamselle in the story has, yeah, is quite crushed by this and it dawns on her what she's missed out on in her life. Um, 
Has anyone got any thoughts on that? I mean, from a sort of from a feminist, and, and again, I think Luke hit the nail on the head why feminists don't particularly like this work of Kate Chopin's, even though they might like most of her other stuff. Um, and I mean, you know, she, by the way, this story, you know, Kate Chopin lived around the 18, the late 1800s. Um, she's one of the first sort of, of the American literature revival influenced, uh, people like Flannery O'Connor and a whole bunch of other, um, but authors in the deep South. So, you know, very key sort of literary figure, but also what we would call a pro, you know, proto-feminist in the same way that Jane Austen is a proto-feminist because she wrote stories about women and women's place in society. Um, You've got a kind of, you know, feminism today, I think, has got a very tainted, it's got, it's got a reputation, it's got a very, very narrow definition these days. Feminism back in those days didn't actually exist as we understand it, but it existed in the sense that there were a lot of well-educated women um, who were thinking and writing about about themselves and about their place in society. The 1800s saw the beginnings of the suffrage movement, of course, with great American women like uh, Susan B. Anthony and Katie Stanton and, um, you know, all these, you know, the early, fe- you know, what we, what, we, what we would call early feminists. And, you know, then there were also others across the world too in England whose names I cannot, cannot recall at the moment. Um, so that's where this book sits in. That's where these stories sit in historically. And the reason why I think that a lot of feminists don't like them is because they confront the reality that a lot of women are facing today. The women who have chosen to do what Mamselle Orly chose to do, which was to uh, not have a family for whatever reason. You know, they you know they got lost. They you know got lost in their career and have done wonderful work in their career. Don't get me wrong. Like this is obviously a very success. You know, she's a very successful. She owns a. She has a plantation. She, like she a owns a pla- She owns yeah. a cotton plantation. She has. You know, she's a. You know, she's a well. You know, she's a well-off woman. She's got everything she needs. She wants for nothing, and she contributes to. She contributes to her society very, and she contributes. You know, economically and her time as well um, talks about her religion there. So I'm assuming she's very active in, ch- in her local church, but, but there's a cost. And the fact is, is that mother nature is, you know, mother nature is not that, you know, it doesn't work that way. You know, at women's fertility is finite. And once that window of opportunity is closed, it's really hard and painful and, and impossible to reopen it again. And I think there, and I mean, a lot, although I think it would be different, I think the feminists that are emerging today, or even the feminists of old, like, you know, Jermaine Greer would actually kind of see the point that they were trying to make. She may have dismissed it in her, you know, in her female eunuch days as being, you know, um, but it was a warning to, it, you know, it was kind of a warning and the, you know, the 70, you know, the early 70s, 70s feminists may have dismissed this story, but now I think they're coming to see the wisdom that this story has. So I don't know, Victoria, have you got, you got any thoughts on this? I mean, this is a woman's story, um, so I feel... I don't women. know, I'm just... Yeah, I'm, I'm stepping back. I'm not letting <laughs> no, you feel free to say things, Luke, you know. This is equal, equal, equal rights, people. Read yeah. Rights. Um, I don't know, something I sort of picked up about this story is that it doesn't romanticize bringing up children i mean this this two-week period or looks like fortnight or something isn't actually the biggest joy ever in that like i said it's not comfortable um there's a lot of there's a lot of hardship and a lot of learning but something that i picked up on which i really liked was the fact that 
yeah, there's going to be hardships and stuff like that, but it's in the little things. So it's the little things that count, you know, the cliche saying. And um, it got me wondering if she'd heard of this phrase called uh, the inscape, which is like a literary term for popularized by Jared Manley Hopkins um, in his poetry about looking at the small things in life and and loving them. And um, and from that, you can love all of life because it's made up of lots of small things. So, for instance, the speckles on a trout or something. Just a, just a, an aside. He was mm. a Jesuit, wasn't he? He was. Yeah, he was a priest. Was a nice little... Yeah. Yeah. And um, anyway, and so I was kind of marking little bits as I was reading about the the, the inscape, noticing the the un- uniqueness and loveliness in the small things. She sees things I don't. So <laughs> I didn't see any of what you guys were talking about. I didn't see no anything. idea. I have no idea. I had no idea what inscape even inscape even existed until you said it. So <laughs> we're all learning. Yeah, great. And so, like for the bits that I liked was there's this bit. In, uh, it says she became acquainted with. Uh, Tinom's passion for flowers only when he had plucked all the choicest gardenias and pinks for the apparent purpose of critically studying their botanical construction. That's about a kid picking flowers, okay? But she's uh, starting to appreciate it and she's not getting as annoyed that, well, this kid's stealing her flowers. Yeah, she might get a little bit annoyed later pushes. on, but she's, she's, she's appreciating it. And later on it says, and it was not the first or the second night that she could sleep comfortably with little Lodi's hot, plump body pressed close against her and the little one's warm breath beating her cheek like the fanning of a bird's wing. That's a child breathing against your cheek. Like, that's, like, not a monumental thing. The president's never going to have, like, a like a talk about that. But that's, like, a private little, I suppose, window into heaven. And these are the little things that she's getting. And it's that that she bitterly misses and cries over and weeps over um, when they're gone. So I just thought I, know, I just thought that was really yeah. interesting. I, I mean, I, I had a, I've had a bit of a thing with Kate Chopin since I was forced to study her in <laughs> high school and yeah, education. The, 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 you know, but also, the Awakening was not a happy story. It was a very it was a very confronting and story. And in the same way, this story is also as confronting. But I think I like this story so much better because it's real. Like I can relate to this. I can relate to this woman's desire to you know, be free, you know, I say this in inverted commas, which you can't see, because um, this is a radio show and not TV. Um, <laughs> Sorry, it was in your voice. Yes, it was in my voice. You know, <laughs> you know, she, and, you know, she has this freedom and she's very, very happy with life. She's got her dog, she's got a farm, she's got, you know, what more could you want? And then suddenly she gets, and then suddenly she realises that there's something of her, that, that there is something that's missing and that's the mater- the you know, she, she, has, she hasn't become complete. And I think maternity is as essential to womanhood as paternity is to, ma- as paternity is to manhood. It's very important to point out that we don't, necess- we don't ne- necessarily mean just, like, biological maternity. No. Yeah, so we're talking about, like, mother superior for nuns and stuff like that. That's, that's, that's maternity. maternity. Even, even, I mean, it's an ex- this kind of expression of maternity. But I think I might... I'll pull back on that for a second because I might get to that later with something I want to say. But but you know, it's yeah. it's like you know, I mean, and John Paul too talks a lot about this stu- a lot about this stuff when he talks about the feminine genius. And if you want to he- read something Catholic on feminism, John Paul too is an excellent place to start. Ironically enough, um, <laughs> he wrote a letter to women. Um, it's called, great, yeah, yeah, and another encyclical called Mulieris Dignitatum, which is on the dignity of women. Um, they're both on the Vatican website. Go take a look at them. Go have a read of them. Um, highly recommend that if you want to read something on 
womanhood in, from the Catholic perspective. And one of the things he talks about is this idea of maternity. And maternity is not necessarily something physical. It's not something biological. It's not, it's not strictly something biological. It's very obviously manifested when you have children. When you have children, you become a mother. But at the same time, it's not just about the physical reality. It's also about your spiritual reality as well. And you can still have children, even though you might not have them physically, because obviously some women can't physically have children for whatever reason, but they can still become what is, what's termed spiritual motherhood. Mm. And you can still express that maternity, which is essential to your womanhood, along with other other qualities that... And you can still express that motherhood in a way that, you know, might not be physical, but you can still, you can mother other children, you know, so, you know, you can mother other children, you can walk with other people in a, you can be a feminine, you know, an older feminine role model to other people. There's Mm. lots of ways you can, I mean, the classic, the classic alternative would be the way, you know, women who choose to be celibate. So religious sisters, for example, they express their motherhood very differently from, a woman who had physically has children, but you would not deny that either of those women were, ma- were maternal in any way, shape or form. You can see the maternity in someone who doesn't have physically have children. You can see it in someone who does. So I think this is what poor Mamzelle Orly is finally realizing is that that maternity part of her hasn't been realized. And now it, she's had this opportunity to realize it and it's taken away from her. And so that whole hurts yeah you notice in here it is i guess in a cer- to a certain extent at pains to point out her masculinity yes um in in her, somewhat superficial ways yeah. like that she wears a man's hat um and boots and, and, boots and, and, and like, like a man and yeah, cried okay. like a man at the end yeah so it is at certain pains to point. now these of course as i mentioned are superficial things there's nothing in wearing a man's hat that that is per se no. masculine. No. You know. Um but it is attempting to I guess point that out that that she is living a man's life to a cert- to a certain extent. And I don't mean that necessarily again in a superficial way. I mean that as an interior reality as well as her exterior reality. Um that she's not living this this maternity um that she has within her. Um I guess something did you want to say anything else, Kira? No, I think I, got, I think I got got all that out. I don't think there's anything else that I can say for the moment. Well, what I guess what something as I was reflecting on this, just because it's one of these stories that like I read it and then I just like thought about it for ages because like, I was on the train. Um, and after reading it, I was very much reminded of what Victoria was talking about before—the kind of messiness. Of it. it doesn't, it's not like these children are gorgeous and it's just like... Angel, oh, perfectly yeah, behaved angels. Little, yeah, it's no, not like not. that at, at all. They're not. Like, she has to tie one of the kids up in a chair. <laughs> to stop him attacking her garden. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, which would sound horrible today, but I mean... Yeah, standard discipline. No, she, no it's, it, it points out that it's a very comfy chair and that he yeah, has a nap yeah, yeah, because yeah, it's a warm afternoon. Chair. And even that's endearing in itself. But it reminded me a lot of, um, during my conversion, I guess, uh, this is something that Jennifer Fulwiler, who is a Catholic blogger and writer, we should read her book, by the way. Um, yeah, Alrighty. she's fantastic, Jennifer <laughs> Fulwiler. She spoke about how she's a convert from atheism uh, and she was married before she and her husband converted. And she talks about how when she became Catholic, she just had this explosion of life. She was suddenly surrounded by life, children, 
messiness. Like, it was all happening. She lived this very um, sterile life beforehand. And I don't mean that in terms of, like, her fertility. She had one child, I think, uh, at the time. But she lived this very kind of clean, clinical, ordered, under control, nothing out of place kind of life. When she converted to Catholicism, she's had a whole bunch of other kids since then. Her life has just become ridiculous and messy. (laughs) And I'm not sure if I've mentioned it on this show before, but one of the funniest blog posts I've ever read in my entire life is this story, and I think it's called, like, My Trip to Whole Foods or something like that. And it's a story (laughs) that she recounts about how prior to her conversion, she used to always go to this store called Whole Foods in the United States. Which is a... Which is a... organic... It's an organic grocer. market kind of grocer. Everything's very, you know... Is eco-friendly and organic and all healthy and and all that. I've been to Whole Foods. (laughs) You pay for it as well. I've been to Whole Foods. Um, And so she was driving past it and she thought, oh, just for old time's sake, I might give it a go. And she recounts this story about pulling up in her her minivan and then attempting to take these wild kids into this environment that is not made for big families. Like, the target market is not big families. It's hilarious. Um, And it's very similar to this. (laughs) <laughs> and as I said, during my conversion, I was suddenly also surrounded by these big families. And it's intense. It's yeah. nuts. Like, because I don't come I don't come from a big family. I do. Neither <laughs> my own family or my extended family. I don't have a lot of children around. At, at any given point, I mean, the most young children we would have ever had in my family in one area would have been about three. So, I mean, it's not like this intensity that I experienced of having, like, 20 kids running around, you know. But it was beautiful. Like, it was something that I think has very much influenced my process of discernment in terms of vocation, is seeing what to the world would be insane. Like, I mean, so many people today would say that you're crazy for having so many kids. You know, how, how, can, you, how can you afford that? How do you, you not know what two is? Oh, yeah, that one. Let's um, yeah. <laughs> not go there. Um, uh, my mum's heard them all. <laughs> yeah, like that kind of thing. And when I've experienced this, being able to be with these children who are just crazy and they run around and they knock things over. And... <laughs> Sorry, I'm <laughs> laughing because that's like, that's my life. Yeah, You know, yeah. I'm the oldest of five kids, so. Yeah, and, and I guess lots I've of been cousins. somewhat of a foreign. Like, I mean, I, I have a sister in that and, you know, I've grown up with, Siblings. With, with siblings. So I'm not like an only child or anything. But this inte- like level of intensity, this <laughs> level of craziness was just something else. But I wanted a part of that. And that's really weird. <laughs> um, and I think, as I said, that's something that's been sort of floating around in my mind of discerning a vocation. Um, now, if there's any non-Catholic listeners out there or anyone who's not familiar with what on earth I mean by the term vocation, because it's something that I guess uh, either A sounds it's like vacation. It's a bit Catholic speak. Or it's a bit Catholic speak. I mean, vocation to, in a secular sense, would be like your job. So, like, well, vocational training um, would probably be... This is sort of taking a step back from that. It's a much broader concept. And this is relating back to the spiritual motherhood that you, uh, the mm. Victorian Chiara was speaking about before, that within uh, the Catholic world, within Catholic, uh, I guess, life, and the mission apostolate that Catholics need to undertake... Uh, there are four states of currently, um, because they sort of fluctuate, but currently four states of life uh, that are acknowledged within church writing. And do you see that you have the priesthood, um, which is obviously only for men, 
religious life, which is, of course, both men and women, and things women. like, yeah, nuns, um, brothers, brothers, sisters, uh, lay religious as well, they count that's, as. That's I'll, the next level I'll, That's down. another one, okay. yeah. Um, married, so husband and wife, obviously, that's the easiest one to figure out. And uh, consecrated singles. consecrated singles, which mm-hmm. is where that would come in. And that's a bit harder to describe. I think something like uh, Opus Dei's numeraries would probably come into that category. I don't think uh, non-Catholics, non-Catholic listeners would, would know I, what would those are Would have any idea either. what I mean. But if there's um, anyone out there, because that's something that is usually really hard to describe even to Catholics. What? Because we only think of the first three usually. Yeah. Um, but that last one, there's a. I think the Schoenstatt sisters, for example, would probably come under that. The fraternas also do as well. Yeah. Um, my, you know, one of my family members is a consecrated single to mm. you know to, you know she went up to took private vows with the with, with the diocese yeah with the bishop yeah. and yeah. you know dedicated her life to the service of the diocese so mm. which was very that was very prominent within the early church you have the the uh, the consecrated virgins yeah uh, you have martyrs that that were consecrated virgins and they're still around mm. um, which is which is wonderful because we need we need them to pray for us <laughs> um, and so that's what I mean by vocation here and this I think really does come into this story as well is that uh, Mamzelle doesn't fit really into any of those vocations. Um, no. We need to remember, I guess, that f- for Catholics and I guess uh, other Christians can take this into account um, is this idea that God gives us, He wants us to be in this in a certain state of life in order to fulfill His mission. Um, at the moment, all three of us um, in this room currently don't have our vocation per se. Uh, we have not fulfilled our vocation proper. Nonetheless, we're all working out our vocations at this point in time. And we do have a vocation. God has put us in this position. This is our vocation at this point in time. Mm, being um, a student and... Being know. a student. Yeah, or, or um, you know, having, uh, having a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or discerning with a religious order or whatever. Those are all discernment periods. Um Kate of no Kate. Kate's the name of the author. Mamselle uh, doesn't really have this. She's dedicated herself to her career, which is fantastic. I'm not saying for a moment that women should not dedicate and themselves to a career. That's what, and in many ways, but, we do need. We do. You know, there is a real gift that dedicate that people who choose to be single, for want of a better word, who choose to dedicate themselves to a career. Like I, you know. A, you know, people like my aunt, she writes, she's written programs mm. for the diet. You know, she spent, you know, she gives her, she gives her career and her life to the diocese as exactly. well. Exactly. Yeah. So and that's, that's a really important thing to point out as well. Um, I did a marriage and sexuality intensive a couple of weeks ago with the fantastic sister Moira. Oh dear. Um, she's great. <laughs> I she's, love sister She Moira. is the bomb. Yeah. She's the bomb. She was talking about this saint that other people, maybe, maybe he's a blessed, that everyone needs to know about because everyone forgets about consecrated single life. And he was this doctor from Naples, I think, um, in Italy. And he consecrated, he became a consecrated single and dedicated himself to the medical profession in a spiritual way, as well as, I guess... Um, as, as well as in a career way. Yeah, as well as in a career way. And he was, a, he was an amazing doctor, fantastic doctor. I think he worked at universities and that kind of thing as a researcher. And he's a very good example of a person um, who's dedicated their life in that way. And you see that as well, probably most prominently within universities, um, perhaps not in the consecrated sense. I, I don't know. I've never asked any of the academics that I know that are in this kind of similar state of life if they've done that. Um, but that's a good example as well. People, men or women who've dedicated themselves, not just in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense to their work 
for the work of the kingdom of God, building the kingdom of God, um, which is what your vocation is. And I think this is something that points that out, is that the, the we need to continually that work that out. We need to continually be dedicated to what does God want me to do with my life? For a woman, that would be in a different way to how a man would do that. But nonetheless, we both have that core. We need to fulfill um, our masculinity and our femininity and our humanity um, in, in, in a way that is, that is fitting to a vocation that God has given to us, which... Yeah, it's, it's something that I find I find intriguing and is a good discussion for uh, for Catholics to have in our contemporary world that is increasingly both through um, through society, through government policy, increasingly putting people on a path that your life is to be an economic producer. That's yeah. your function. Uh, when at the end of the day, our function is not to produce things for an economy. Our function is to know God and to love God and to be with him forever in heaven. And we have to start doing that uh, here on earth and spreading that to other people. And I think this is, and to relate it back to, to relate that back to what's going on here. I think what, I think the realization that Mamzelle Orly comes to at the end is that she's not, um, she's missed out on something on a you know she's 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 walked past a path that she could have taken all that you know that she could have taken all those years ago and so there's regret in the sense that she didn't see the signpost mm. that was pointing her towards something that would have made her fulfilled and happy because that's what because motherhood does yes it's hard like you know the poor you know harried mother that we see at the beginning and you know all these crazy children you know it's not easy but i don't know of any woman who has ever said i regret having children yeah, that, and that's And this is the funny thing too. This is the funny yeah. thing. That, this is the funny thing too. My mum, I'm the oldest of five children, but my mum regrets not having more children. Hmm. I, and I kid you not, every single woman from a big fa- mother of a big family I've ever met has never ever said, "I regret having so many children." Hmm. They they've never regretted that because they're like. Why would I regret having all these awesome people which, around which, me? Which one? Yeah, am which I one would I that? not? You know, which one would I not? Ha- which one would I not have? I wouldn't have. I, I would have them all. Mm. You know, and it's one of the. But people regret not having children. Mm. And this is the th- you know you know maybe there are a few exceptions out there. I'm sure you could name some. You know, there's always yeah. You know, there, there might be yeah. there may be exceptions out there for women who feel they were forced into it or what, but. I think, and so that's where the anguish is coming from. Here is that she missed that signpost, but now she, and now she knows it. She's not in ignorance anymore. She's not. She, you know, she, the sign was like way back there, and she's all the way up here, and she can't get back there. So that's where the regret is, and now she's left with this hole and this desire and this awakened, you know, this knowledge, and she doesn't know what to do with it yet. Mm. So, I mean, I would love to see the the rest of the story in a way, because this is not the, you know, this is not the end for her. You know, what does she do with this? What does she do with that, with yeah. that newfound knowledge? With it, with it. And in a cat, like, I think it's important to point out that again, in a Catholic context, you wouldn't say, um, oh, you've missed the boat. You're still, God has not exactly. allowed you to go down this path mm. to just leave you there. No. Um, he is taking you, maybe you've made decisions. I don't know. Maybe, maybe a woman has made to or a man has made decisions um, that I guess are not, uh, I guess, conducive to 
to being open to all of the vocations and being able to make such a clear um, or such a full decision mm. about it. But nonetheless, there's still you're still here on Earth. You've still got time. Um, and there's still it's time never too, to fulfill never, the vocation of what God wants for you. Yeah, and, it's ne- and here's the thing too. God always works with you. Like, you can mm. say no. <laughs> That's mm. one of the great things about a vocation is that you can freely say no to God. Mm. Um, as well. And that was one of the things, you know, that was one, you know, when I was doing my, uh, when I was discerning whether I wanted to be a religious, you know, whether I should be a religious sister. Interview on Cradio. Yeah. um, (laughs) You can go check that out. out. Yeah, it turns out I'm not. Um, But, you know, I mean, one of the things that gave me courage was that, you know, someone, you know, you know, a priest said to me, look, you can say no. You know, God's not going to make you do it. Um, If you really, you know, God's not going to make you do it if you really don't want to do it. If if he's going to make you do it. He'll make you do it. Yeah. Like, you're not going to be in this situation. It's like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, no, you know. Slapped over the head (laughs) and forced into it whether you like it or not. No. (laughs) You have that free decision then. You have that that free, you know, you have that free decision. But but he also said the other thing too is that when you know that you've made the right choice in your path of life is when you know... It's where it's where desire and the objective will of God converge. Yes, and that's the thing. That's the thing. That's the other thing too. So that's why it's actually really important to be listening to what you want as well, because God's still guiding. God's got this idea of what you know. God's got what He wants you to do, but He's not going to just say, "Here's your path now, walk it." Yeah, he's we gonna, don't. He, we don't he want makes miserable you... parents or priests or religious. Or no, what didn't Saint Teresa Avila say, uh, "Lord, save us from gloomy saints" or something, something like, like that? that. Yeah, <laughs> just... I've never, I've never quite known where that's from, but <laughs> she's full of great quips like that. But you know, like, like you know, she's, we don't want sorrowful, depressed, or you know, harassed vocation is here. This is not a you know, God, God wants you to want. And he wants you to be a witness. Yeah. Like, it's not a good witness to be... Miserable. A, regr- a regret. Right, a regretful... Yeah. <laughs> whatever. Uh, what have you. I feel like Victoria hasn't said much. No, I'm this. blown away by you guys. I'm actually listening. <laughs> You're actually listening. I'm your first listeners right here. First listener right here. Oh. Uh, <laughs> do you have anything to add, Victoria? I really have nothing to add. <laughs> Except guess, for the fact that, like, sorry. I'd be interested to interesting see... interesting tangent to go on for not, this particular story. Right, you, you touched onto it, but I wanted to think, like ask you guys outright what you think will happen after the story because like there are so many things she could have done she could have offered to mind these children more often she could i don't know hire some house servants that had kids and be like they can stay with us you know or <laughs> that she could creepily like borrow their children <laughs> <laughs> or she could have gotten more and more active in her parish and like uh talk to young women about what it's like to be an unmarried woman and stuff like I don't know, like I don't I know. She no could have done many things, and I just yeah, yeah. It's, I guess that's how that's part of the poignancy of this this story. We don't know what happens, and I suspect that we're meant to meditate on. And it. I mean, the problem is but, that it ends on the lowest point. Yeah, so it's really but, hard but, to but, the Yeah, but the most like. The, the key point, well, I mean, really. Again, Ponto was looking at hand. That's kind of- <laughs> See, I actually, I just, I, I really like that little detail at the end because how many people have substituted pets for children these days? Mm. I mean, I mean, I know you might adore your pet and all that sort of thing. And don't get me wrong, dogs are wonderful companions. Cats are maybe not. Cats are the best. She's lying because she's confused. <laughs> I'm not a cat person. <laughs> Um, in case you ever gather, you know, birds or whatever it is. There's, you a, might there's, be- a, ter- there's a term, it's called, it's not, it's not coming from me. It's not coming from snarky Catholics or anything like that. This is coming, yeah, fur children. 
Have you ever heard that term? For yeah, fur children? I have. Yeah, no. You see, you see it around Sydney if you ever see the fur children. Like, yeah, you'll, they you'll usually the wearing children. clothes too. <laughs> the the small anyway. fluffy things are wearing <laughs> clothes. <laughs> Look, it's fantastic to have pets, but I know what you mean. Like, if there's that substitute, it's pointing towards something, and but often we can not... have this freak out because. How many times have we gone over this on this show? Probably, maybe never, but I don't know. I feel like I go over it all the time. The commitment thing. Yeah. Pets aren't commitment. You know, it's not... Okay, there are fi- well, a- of pretty finite commitments, 15 years and then you're done. Yeah, I mean... 15 I, to 20 years, I mean, maybe. Okay, if you're, if you're elderly and you want a companion, fantastic. That's great. That's the companion there. But, I mean, when you're, like, in your 20s and it's like, oh, I'm not going to have kids because I don't want to have that commitment. But I'll get a cat. A problem. I'll get a cat because, I mean, I can just give the cat away and, you know, they're not a human and they don't talk back and maybe... See, I think the human was made to be more courageous than that, to be like, I do, or, yeah, I profess those perpetual vows, or, yeah, I'll have children, you know? I don't... But we don't Like, we're made for that. We don't want to Yeah, we're not. We want to to be in this continuous state of... Of of choice and options. It's the culture of choice. And I didn't... I want to only really lightly touch on this because I know this is an incredibly controversial topic, but um, I saw the other day, I think it was Google? I don't know. It was one of these big tech companies offered to pay for women. Facebook and Apple. I am, I have a, I have a, I have I have some thoughts on that, have, but don't have, get have, me started on feels? that. Okay, I was, don't get me started on that, late, please. So we're running late, so I'll, I'll force you to not say anything. I'll turn off your mic. <laughs> 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 you could just yell in Victoria's instead. No, but talking, about, talking about how um, they have offered to pay for women to um, to freeze their eggs so that they can have children later. I guess I'm not going to make any commentary on that, other than in the context of what we've been talking about here, um, and if you want to read up about Catholic teaching on this and, and see some very good thinkers about this, that from the Catholic perspective... From the world's perspective, the Catholic perspective seems um, tyrannical. How dare you say that a woman shouldn't be able to, to have children and later archaic. on? And that kind of, yeah, and that kind of thing. But as you can see, the idea is about vocation. Um, and it's about children are not... Children have a right to not be a product. Children have a right not to be to children a, human a choice in the sense of like, oh, well, now I'm ready. Um, and besides, was not ready. you're never ready. You're Mem- never, ever, Mem- ever yeah. ready. Mamzell was not ready. Mamzell was not ready when these children turned up. Duh. And from her perspective as a single, rugged woman... Who's lived she, on her own. Who's lived on her own her whole who's life. Who's had everything just so. The idea of so. having children was insa- like, it's, it's, it's insane. And, you know, it seems like it's going to be this big, crazy mess. And Which it was. Which it was, but it was beautiful. And I think that's a very important takeaway for the culture today is that people will complain, I'm too young, I've got to build a career, I don't think I can handle the spew and the poop and all that kind of stuff, the yelling, the late nights, the if you've early ever, mornings. If you've ever been to a nightclub, I don't see why you'd have a problem, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> nonetheless, nonetheless, this focus on that. But there's this certain sense of despair there, which is that, one... It's assuming that God won't help you with that. And two, it's saying that it's not worth it. And I think, as you were saying before, um, Kiara, that no mother 
or very few mothers, I don't know, I'm not going to say 100% because I haven't taken a poll, but no mother would, would regret that decision to be able to have those children and live that crazy life because you've done something phenomenal. You've, you've made a new human a being. person into the world. And you are now tasked. That's amazing. Yeah. And you are now tasked with educating and raising that per- that new little person to be a decent human being and a good human being. And like, it's going to be it's That's gonna be hard. hard <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that's hard. I, I, I bring all these, all these thoughts that were coming out. All right, we, gotta, we, we, we really we need got, to wrap up. We've got to uh, wrap up there. This is, this is a whole new yeah, kettle of fish I here. Think <laughs> we need maybe, to do another. Maybe we'll bring it up later, but... I think life is beautiful in its messiness. And that's not to say in terms of sin, um, but in terms of the fact that reality is hard and it's messy and you don't know what's going to happen and it's stressful. But yeah. that's where the beauty lies. Because look at the world around us. That's how God created the universe. You know, a clinical... Yeah, okay, the, the, the laws of physics and that are ordered uh, and everything. But, but human we still don't life, fully understand the, the yeah, laws like, of physics I, anyway. And but human, is... human life is, it's not, it's not chaotic, I mean. And, no, but it's... human life, the experience of humanity, is a messy one. Why? Because that's love. That's how love Be- comes out. And this it's is not like clinical and sterile. And you know, the cross and wasn't audit. clinical and sterile. No. Christ's life was not clinical and sterile. A good story for that actually is when um, Jesus comes across the man who is blind and so he spits into the dirt. dirt yeah. Yeah. So he combines dirt. And spit. and spit and creates this And then puts it on his face. Puts it on his face and then it <laughs> creates m- this miracle of love and, and sight. Like it's amazing. Jesus wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty. You shouldn't be either. <laughs> the, inca- the incarnation, in a sense, the incarnation is. Oh, but you not- can't call it dirty because no, the incarnate because if the if the flesh is if the human body is bad, the incarnation would be blasphemy. That's theology of the body for you, right? No, there. no, 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 no. What, but that's but that's what I mean. Like I mean, is in our sense of we can consider that to be something that's dirty. We can consider that to be something that's messy. But the fact of the matter is, is that in the incarnation, Christ became man. And everything except sin goes along with that. Yeah, and he loves it. It's it's amazing. It's phenomenal. Anyway, it's that's a great a, thing to end with. Actually, that's, that's, I, that's, I don't that's, know. That's, we stop can't. then. Done. Done. Okay, next week. <laughs> next week. What are we doing? Luke's next just week? chucked down his scarf like the a scarf. like a gauntlet. <laughs> the scarf. It was Throw really it cold today. Ground. All right. It might seem really hot, but it was. Um, that's why I had the scarf. What was that? <laughs> Threw it on the ground. You haven't seen Victoria knows what I'm talking about. Um, that's why she's sitting there laughing Later. and hitting me. Anyway, um, let's t- let's let's next week. Um, <laughs> what are we gonna do? No, no, um, I know. Sorry. I've got one. I've oh, got you've one. got one. Okay, I've got one. So there's this book, right? I heard about this book. Right? This book. It's a short story, and it's called. As soon as I type in and figure it out, it's called. I got it wrong, actually. I said it was something else. The Selfish Giant by Oscar Wilde. Oh, okay. Oscar, Oscar Wilde. Wilde. It's about twentieth episode, so I think we should get into. I think that's Oscar good. Yeah, we should get into a literary giant. Why not? Yeah, yeah. So it's called The Selfish Giant by Oscar Wilde. Um, so we'll do that next week, and that will be our twentieth episode. Woo! Twenty episodes. Woo! Yeah. yeah. We rock. Yeah, 20 episodes. <laughs> all right. Uh, so thank you all for, for listening. To uh, our weird ranting conversations. Yeah, it's been great. Fun times. Um, and so we will be back next time. Oh, if you have any questions and stuff, 
Radio, Facebook. Contact, you know. Send us an email. We um, actually read what you send us and talk about we it really and, and reflect true. and, so you know. So if you would like three random Australians to talk about you, <laughs> um, send us an email. Yeah. We won't talk about you badly. No. Hopefully. Unless I you're want... mean to us. If you're mean to us, we'll be charitable. We'll be charitable. Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> Slightly um, sarcastic, baby, but charitable. So, next week, next time, Oscar the Selfish Giant. Bye. 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 That was an episode of Catholics Read from cradio.org.au.